This is food. This is beans. Tenet. Tenet, yeah. This is the episode in which we can just talk about pretty much everything about Tenet. We can talk spoilers. If you have non-spoilers, uh, we could also talk about non-spoilers. That is an option. But if you're an audience member that hasn't seen Tenet, I'd argue you should turn Leave this off now and never listen to this again. Yeah, go to episode eleven. Yeah, or episode ten. At whoa, incredible, incredible indeed. What do you think of the movie? It's pretty great, and I feel like we talked about this a little bit on the eleventh episode, but the concept of it being super useful to watch it over again a second time. And maybe Correct. even a third time. It, I do pretty, want to watch it a third time. It's pretty, not, not necessarily necessary, because I feel like, again, we, you get the idea of the gist of the story, but there's a lot of detail packed into Christopher Nolan's Tenet, and it's arguably worth it to watch it again. It's a different experience watching it the second time. Like, it, it honestly is a different experience, and experience entirely because now that you understand the concept of the movie and you don't really have to pay attention to how things work, you can pay attention to what is actually going on in the, in the finer details throughout the movie. Yeah, you have a basis of the skeleton of the of the plot. Like you understand, I think the the ba- the basis of everything. And then that you Nolan's can trying to do, and then you can really fill in all the gaps. Yeah, with flesh, go through and organs. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Facial features. Perhaps. Facial features. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. It's one of those things like uh, you're following uh, the protagonist. Uh, it's John David Washington's character. The coolest guy on planet Earth. He's pretty cool. We can sidetrack for a moment for just John David Washington. He is so cool. He's pretty awesome. I, again, sign me up for whatever else he uh, he's making, especially if it's a, an action movie. But uh, again, he was amazing in Black A Klansman, and he's amazing in this. It, yeah. His, the amount of physicality, uh, I, I sent you a clip, the nine-minute clip that we talked about on episode nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically in which even his co-stars are saying how remarkable it is like the amount of physicality he brought to the role he was doing mostly his own stunts which is amazing and nolan shot this movie almost completely without cg which is also crazy considering there was a literal literal plane a plane that crashed into a building and caught fire yeah which is unbelievable. super cool considering that that airport was still running at the time too which is just bananas to think about yeah no it's Absolutely crazy for sure. And again, John David Washington's performance, same with Robert Pattinson's performance. Robert Pattinson, bat, yeah. Bring a tremendous amount of cool uh, to the performance. We talked about in episode nine as well when we watched Tenet the first time that that scene in which they're in the kitchen, right, mm-hmm. John David Washington is attacked by Sater's thugs. Sater, of course, being the uh, bad bloke of the movie, the Russian uh, oligarch dude, the villain, who, by the way, played by Kenneth Branagh. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah. Chills. Chills. I forgot it was Kenneth Branagh. I thought it was a guy named Sater the entire time. Yeah, he's actually Sater. <laughs> that was a, they didn't, they hired a real oligarch. Yeah. A, a crazy man. That moment, we're sidetracking this already 50 times because yeah. there's just so many directions that you can go in with this in terms of thinking about this movie. But the moment where Catherine, his wife, yeah, is played by Elizabeth Debecky. Elizabeth Debecky. Uh, she's knocked to the ground and he's just like, there's this rage. 
on his face it's it's terrifying it is scary and he just yeah i'm usually pretty good with like violence and stuff i'm not a big fan of like super gory things you know people getting their ears chopped off or something like that it's like i'm not a i'm not a fan of like the saw movies in terms of all that stuff however this was actually difficult to watch like i winced uh, multiple times and there's no blood there's no yeah there's no like scarring or anything he just kicks his like wife while while she's down quite literally and she's just raw anger and raw fear yeah it's it's terrifying and elizabeth debecky does such an amazing job i I know it sounds so weird but just does an amazing job while she's down on the ground like you you feel the fear in her it seems so so real and she's just she does this thing with her arm where she's just kind of like reaching up trying to crawl away uh, almost and uh it really stuck with me like that's one of like the scenes that are (laughs) the most memorable scenes in the movie considering the movie is a visual spectacle all around it's pretty awesome that they really nailed it with that scene alone it just it really stuck with me honestly that her story is the human like the emotional story that kind of is the the through line like the baseline through the movie yeah the grounded the grounded portion of the movie that like you can understand during your first watch and yeah like it, it, it yeah that, that's really it it's just the grounded portion of the movie that you you just understand she's a she's in a relationship with an abusive man and she wants to leave it and that's one of the main plot lines in the movie well there's so much extra stuff going on around around that as well with the world uh, possibly ending you know the whole time inversion it's not time travel it's time inversion uh well it's definitely time the, travel yeah, I know, but that's a line in the movie. Because uh, John David Washington uh, says, like, time travel. And then uh, the girl that, that you meet at the beginning of the movie is like, it's time inversion. It's like, whoa. Well, I don't understand what that means the first time I was watching it. However, the second time I was watching it, I understood. And I could actually follow along in this movie this time around. I think the most intriguing thing as well, watching it a second time, is that concept overall that he, John David Washington, is the protagonist. Uh, specifically... He is the person who starts everything. He's the one who actually hires everybody to begin with. So his code name not only is the protagonist, but he is literally the protagonist of the story. Yeah. And he's the one who originates the team that is meant to stop the end of the world. Uh, and he somehow hires himself in from the past, uh, which is kind of Or at some point in the present. Yeah. Uh, unknown. But uh, we're following along with him in the beginning of the movie. Um, as we watch it, especially the first time, and kind of learning all of this stuff about time inversion and everything that it has to offer. And then the second time when you're watching, you're arguably following along maybe with Neil. Because yeah. he knows more, obviously, than he leads on throughout the entire movie. Like somehow, John David Washington's character, the protagonist's drink choice in the very first scene in which they sit down together, which is interesting. And John David Washington just thinks that he's an operative that has done his research. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's because... They've They're been friends. friends for some time. Yeah. It's just a different version of John David Washington, a future version of him that was friends with Robert Pattinson's Neil. Yeah. Which is just very intriguing. And the more you watch, again, the second time, you pick up interesting patterns in how the movie is is done. You realize that Aaron Taylor Johnson's character, he knows so much information because he was hired by the protagonist in, in, at some point. And he was filled in long before, but we didn't know that they were working in the background at some point, maybe moving through time. Maybe they ro- like arrived there. It's a pincer movement. Well, as they a, say it. As a pincer. Well, they, were, yeah. they got just attacked on a pincer movement. I don't think that they were on a pincer movement. They came in to defend the pincer movement for that particular scene. We're talking about the highway 
the highway sequence. So one of the most confusing moments in the movie is the moment where there's an interrogation scene on either side of the glass. And so Aaron Taylor Johnson's character claims that there is a pincer movement that was completed, but it was Sater that created the, the pincer movement. He was... He was the one, he, he made sure that he was on both sides at, at one time. He inverted himself, and he was in forward direction time uh, so that he can pincer to steal one of the pieces of the algorithm mm-hmm. after John David Washington's, the protagonist, and Neil executed the heist, essentially. But that, part, that whole sequence, I feel like, was probably the most confusing part of the movie the first time, whereas the second time you can kind of, I don't know, get your wits about you and really understand as to what was happening. Because it's, it's, there's a lot going on. There's somebody on one side of the glass talking where there's a microphone and, and some kind of a speaker on the other side. You're, and you're listening to them be translated, like the reverse direction of their voice, to the correct timeline. It was a confusing scene. But the idea of Aaron Taylor Johnson's character, his, uh, his operative character, understanding what was happening and so perfectly and kind of getting an understanding that John David Washington's the protagonist didn't understand currently what was happening even though it looked like they knew each other in some weird way like he, he seemed familiar mm-hmm. which was interesting so it's it's cool and he was familiar because the protagonist likely hired him like, yeah at some point in the future definitely so it's uh yeah there's a lot of neat things there uh there was also the concept of the Seder Square which is pretty neat, uh, which is like an old-fashioned thing from hundreds of years ago. The nobody... Thousands of years ago. Is it thousands? Millions of years ago. I don't believe so, no. Humans didn't exist millions of years ago. I think the dinosaurs made it, man. I don't think so. There's words on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, specifically the Seder Square has a couple words on it that are linked back to this. But this the, the Seder Square is, is kind of locked into this concept of palindromes, like tenet. A palindrome is a word in which you can read backwards and forwards. And so there's lots of little hints in a Seder Square. Like, for instance, it's called the Seder Square, and Seder is the main villain, of course. There's also Rotas listed in the Seder Square. The square is essentially a squared-off box with multiple words written in it, uh, backwards and forwards. It's worth checking out if, again, if you, of course, if you watch the movie, it's kind of it would give away some of the characters. But Arepo as well was mentioned in the, mm-hmm. in the movie as well. Arepo was the, the fraudster who defrauded Seder for the, the painting, which was kind of being held over Catherine's head. And then, of course, uh, Rotas, which is one of Seder's owned companies. And ultimately, Rotas means uh, rotate or to rotate, I mm-hmm. believe, in Latin. So the concept of how the actual inversion machine works, where you get in, it rotates around almost like a revolving door. Yep. So like that kind of whole concept of the Seder Square and it being a palindrome and the movie being a palindrome potentially as a whole in which the heists actually line up in the during the movie when they're going forward and backward in, in pretty much the same spot. The, the, the heist that lines up in the middle is pretty much the car chase scene. Uh, Which happens the, at the same time. Right, it almost happens at the same time because they go forward and then they do it. He, John David Washington immediately does goes, it back. Yeah. Does the backwards version of it right away. And then right after that and right before that, there was the heist for the, the plane crash and the, uh, the Freeport. And again, they're lined up in the movie. If you were to watch it backwards, which would be not a good idea because everybody would be speaking in opposite backwards. English. <laughs> backwards English. But the idea of it, though, is it should line up roughly, I think, within the same kind of idea uh, in the same spots if you were listening to it or watch the movie backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And then there was the concept of Neil having saved the protagonist in the very beginning of the movie. And then you see that zipper, the orange zipper, in the beginning. And he saves the protagonist at the end as well, which kind of lines up again very 
in very similar points in the movie, again, if you were watching it backwards and forwards. Masterfully done. Really well planned out. We mentioned on episode 9 that there must be some kind of crazy map in Christopher Nolan's office in which he's got red like line mm. uh, red string essentially attaching to various points and plot points yeah which, like charlie day and uh, it's always sunny yeah exactly you see that meme all the time actually the amount of complication and the amount of detail it would be to try and get the the collect all of the the plot points and make sure there's no plot holes mm-hmm. uh, is so important uh, i don't think there is any i don't think so either yeah. uh, and so we went the second time with uh, our friend peter yeah uh, and peter specifically after the movie because uh, I work with Peter, he came up to me and said, hey, like, there's actually lots of plot holes in this movie. Uh, and you said, no, you idiot. There isn't. That, there isn't. I, and then you proceeded to beat him up like those kids outside that one movie theater. Uh, I did not. Uh, yeah. I did not do that. But I did explain to him how uh, there weren't plot holes based on what he was describing. Now, the thing he mentioned was, uh, which is hard to know on the first pass, I feel like, on this movie, the moment in the, in the boat, the yacht, Outside the end of the movie. off the coast of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The end of the movie and, and, and I guess an unnamed and a mentioned part before the movie, I guess, starts, arguably, um, just because of the time travel part. But the, the concept... Time inversion of, part. It's still time travel. <laughs> so, it, 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 yeah. But yeah, so like on the yacht, Catherine goes back to the yacht and Peter had an issue. He thought that the satyr hadn't left the yacht, that he was still there. And he was wondering how he wouldn't have been confused that Catherine had left the yacht considering he saw her leave. Yeah. And the reason why is because Seder, the future Seder went to the, went back to the yacht essentially. And I explained that to him, but there's, there's so many mo- moments in this that I'd argue people would be confused. And the, one of the easy ways to get out of the confusion is just to say that the movie is flawed, but I don't think that this particular movie is. No, definitely movie, not. We talked about uh, project power. I think that that movie is arguably has plot holes um, as an example. Yeah, it's in, in various uh, ways. Yeah, it's it just, yeah. like that one they didn't think through necessarily. No, this they're like, movie, oh, this was a cool idea. Right. I just think that Nolan really did think it through. That's what I would say. No, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, this is just some next level filmmaking, and I don't know. It's the, I feel like it's almost pretentious to be like, yeah, this is you know, this is above you know. People that don't get it are, are just stupid. Like they, well, I'm not saying yeah, that. They, they don't like this movie because they don't get it. You know what I mean? I'm certainly not saying that. Um, you can but, still not like it. But yeah, like no, definitely. But I don't know. Uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't really understand it, and I still absolutely adored it. So uh, again, I, I only understood that main plot line, the, the, the faux love story plot line with Elizabeth DeBecky's character. But yeah, again, watching it the second time, it, it really enlightens everything that happens. And it just it just starts making more sense. I do want to watch it a third time and watch it with subtitles, oddly enough, because I feel like there's a lot of moments in the movie where the, the audio is absolutely phenomenal. However, the, the dialogue almost gets uh, overshadowed. I think uh, it's especially noticeable at the end of the movie when there's just explosions going off left and right, everyone's running forwards and backwards and all of this stuff. And, and they all got masks on as well. Exactly. So it's kind of, it's a little bit unclear what, what a lot of the people are saying. Uh, I feel like this is a kind of a common uh, theme in Nolan movies. Like I remember Lately, the Dark Knight. especially like Dunkirk. Yeah, uh, D- Dunkirk as well. But Dunkirk makes sense. I mean, I guess like it makes sense in this movie as well. But yeah, like Dunkirk was just all about like these loud noises going on in the background. Whereas this movie really, I, th- I think the score is at, at the forefront. Whereas in uh, in Dunkirk, I feel like the sound effects of like the guns shooting and everything are really at the forefront. I think the score kind of, is as well for, for Dunkirk. For Dunkirk as, as well. As I recall. Yeah, I've only seen that movie once, but I remember really, really loving it. And 
like my main like takeaway from that movie is just how loud the bullets are. Um, oh, it's loud! The movie. the movie theater that we we saw yeah. in at the same time was a landmark IMAX in quotations yeah. theater, and the the level of loudness, as we've mentioned on a previous episode, actually made the speakers crackle. Yeah, like, which I, I'm like, I'm wondering if you'd watched like I don't know Avengers on that if that would have caused the same issue, but it was weird. Like they were, you could literally hear a crackle. crackling in the speakers. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope they fix that. Hopefully. But. I don't know. They were definitely not prepared. But yeah, I do, I do, I do want to watch this movie again and put on some subtitles. <laughs> That's for sure. Just, just so I can pick up on the smaller things because I definitely feel like I still miss things the second time around. Well, even that conversation with Michael Caine's character and, and the protagonist, yeah. in which they're sitting down for at that high-end lunch, the, the speed in which they're talking, like that was a quieter scene. You could yeah. hear what they were saying. But the amount of detail in that scene at all, actually, sp- speaking of that, I was sitting next to Peter, and Peter specifically leaned over and said, what is what is going on during that scene? Yeah. That's the scene he picked to say what's going on, which was interesting. And it, that's a confusing scene, too, in that actually Michael Caine's character is mentioning all of these, uh, many things that actually are going to be, is kind of foreshadowing the rest of the movie. Yeah, he, he, he really does. The explosion at the end of the movie mm-hmm. during that part, which is kind of interesting, uh, the explosion that was supposed to blow up the algorithm and then set time in motion backwards. Uh, essentially, is the grandfather paradox. Yeah. In which they could somehow kill the past. So there was, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was like a through line of like, it was like about climate change. Did you realize that it was almost like interstellar? They mentioned that the people now, I guess in present day, were causing the world to suffer and it was the, the world in the future was in dire. It turned to shit. Dire straits. Yeah, it turned to oh, shit. Oh, this movie's a prequel to Interstellar. Yeah, that's right. I knew it. And they were, maybe it's running at the same time. It is. And uh, so they were trying to send... Well, they couldn't be running. We're running at the same time for the people of the future, I guess. Yeah. Well, some people, some council in the future decided that Seder would be this this beacon because he's such an egotist and of course he would want to die when the world dies because he wants to, you know, say if, if I he can't have it... He want the world to die when he dies, you mean? Yes. Yeah. But if I can't have it, no one can. Yeah, which, which is a, a line that he says about Cat. Cat, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he's talking to her, and she's like, "Why don't you just let like leave me alone? Just why don't you let me go?" And then there's that very intense scene where he just slowly leans in, and you just again, it's Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh is chills. Yeah, he's terrifying. He's a terrifying man. I would not want to mess with him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Just, every like, other role I've ever seen him in so far, like they've been pretty light. Yeah. Like, you know, like Poirot and... Uh, like, yeah, and uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, he, he often directs as well, so he's not yeah. necessarily acting in a lot of things. Well, although he, he was a theater actor first, so there's that, I guess. Theater. But he was also uh, Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter and the mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets. That guy was a complete fool. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, he's terrifying in that. And yeah, it's interesting. That concept of, again, the people of the future trying to kill the past... Because the past basically killed them, or yeah, killed many people because of potential climate. It seems like it was very focused on the idea of just not taking care of the planet, and yeah, because so, uh, Neil had talked about the grandfather paradox with the protagonist when they're taking that trip to get back to the Freeport. Mm-hmm. Uh, over and the yeah, course he, of the week. yeah, he mentions that like, oh, like uh, sorry, John David Washington's character asks like, what would actually happen, and right. then uh, Robert Pattinson's character, or Neil, says like, like I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, they like mention like why are they trying to do it or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, and they're like because they believe it, and that's all that matters. Like they believe that it won't happen. Yeah, they yeah. they believe that if you kill your grandfather, then you'll still survive. Yeah, it's okay. 
But even then, the concept of running time backwards is still likely to cause other I issues if you have to live in that world. It, it doesn't necessarily work. The idea was to, again, make the algorithm make the world completely turn in reverse as opposed to just a few objects. Yeah. So it seems like there's a high likelihood, and this was still something that I was a little bit confused about, to be honest, uh, Going even the, after the second time, and it's probably why you want to watch it a third time for at least one of the reasons, mm -hmm. is what happens when the algorithm, that piece of metal, actually gets blown up. Was it dropped into the core of the earth? Like, what was the idea? Was it to create a giant chamber that they could invert the world? Is that the idea? Like, how does that work, and what kind of explosive was supposed to you, destroy this object? Nuclear. It, but it didn't seem nuclear because yeah, it wasn't no, very that. powerful. No. So unless it was really deep in the earth and maybe it was big enough, but it didn't like cause an earthquake or anything. So it's interesting. That, I, that was the one thing I didn't quite understand. Maybe we'll never understand it, and that's okay. I don't know. I think. Chris, I, yeah, you I don't know. think Christopher I, Nolan thought of it. No, he definitely did. I'm being facetious. Uh, no, yeah. I, I definitely think we can uh, figure it out. I, yeah, yeah. I kind of want to do a deep dive and kind of look into it again. Definitely watch it a third time once it goes out on VOD and. And maybe with the subtitles, it'll clear things up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely curious about that too, man. I feel like that's the only thing that I didn't fully grasp this time around. I'm sure there's things I missed and don't even realize I didn't grasp, but that's that's the one major plot point where I just don't get, like, I just don't get it. The, the watching it the second time, I also had a, a lot of awe moments. You have those moments where you, like, put your head up and you're yeah. like, oh, I yeah. get it. There's, like, well, like, the moment with... What were you going to say? Sorry. At the beginning of the movie where... Oh, like, the zipper. The, yeah, the zipper. I didn't even notice the zipper in the beginning. Yeah, the me neither. Time. Me neither. I did not. And then they they actually make it very obvious. Like watching it the second time, they, they put a camera... There's just so much going on that you I know. just... Like, no, I can't concentrate. It's like the music and everything. Because you don't even think about, like, why do I have to pay attention to the zipper? You just see a guy running down the stairs and there just happens to be a zipper on his back. You and know then what he I mean? saves the protagonist. Exactly. With the reverse bullet, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, so like that was that was like my first aha moment. I want I'll be honest with you. I kind of I feel like I figured it out like just before it happened. Um, where I was like thinking I was like oh yeah, there's the inverted bullet thing. I was like I feel like that's gonna be Neil, and then they kind of just reveal it like a few moments earlier. And I think that's uh, what makes this movie especially special, is that it again feels like a different movie the second time you're watching it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, like the Prestige feels like a different movie as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What, what scene were you going to say? Oh, I was going to mention the satyr uh, getting the, the money. Oh, he yeah. He finds the, the letter the to satyr. It's, it's, it has his name on the letterhead, and he gets the gold. And the question may be, did he send himself that, or did somebody from the future who was planning for him to be the kill switch yeah. for the inverse, uh, inverse bomb, or uh, the time inversion bomb? So that's an interesting question. But I didn't even notice his name on the letterhead the first time. I Me neither. I just kept trying to calculate. As you as you watch it, I feel like the first time, you're just trying to calculate and catch up with what's, what's going on immediately. 100%. So one thing that definitely solidified my initial thoughts on this movie, that the beginning of this movie is, like, it's relentless. It is so fast, and it does not pause. I think it the, the first time it pauses is that dinner scene between... Um, the protagonist and uh, Catherine. Yeah, for sure. That yeah. is the first time it pauses, and it's it's funny that you mentioned like Peter just like leaning over to you and being like, "What is going on?" Well, because that was in the scene in which he leaned over. He leaned over with the no, I know, Michael I know Kane the, the Michael Caine scene. Which I think he which got is, to rest at that point. Yeah, which is like shortly before the Catherine dinner scene. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely felt the the same way the first time I was watching. I was like, "What are these people talking about?" Like. 
and it, he, Nolan just throws you into his world yeah. and he expects you to just catch up. Like I think it's a respect of your intelligence like, in a big way, but almost almost a little too much in some aspects because it's it's difficult to grasp everything. Like, yeah, as we just I feel like um, in in relation to like Inception, it's it's a little bit different because he does kind of throw you in, but there's a lot of exposition explaining everything in. Um, Inception because there's a lot of exposition in this movie in some there cases. There is, well. like, but there's not like I feel like the protagonist is less of a, like an Ellen Page character. You know, like in in Inception, Ellen Page has no idea what's going on. And they're explaining everything step by step, and it's it's a little bit more understandable. Like you go into a dream, and if you go into a dream, like the, the math the math works like this. It slows down by this much every time you go in, and if you die in here, then you die in real life. Blah blah blah, blah. and you can kind of grasp that. But this one is just. It's so confusing that even the characters don't understand it. They just like there are multiple lines of dialogue being like, "Does your head hurt yet? Like, are you still following? Like, do you, do you understand what's going on yet? Things like that." Well, there was the um, the comment about understanding and, and thinking in the opposite direction, and they yeah. bring you along this journey, and you have to start thinking in this opposite direction. The moments where there's any of those rotating turnstiles, you have to start reading it. Like again, that's the moment I feel like, and again, the center of the movie with. Uh, the interrogation where Kat gets shot in the glass. I feel like that moment in, in really kind of grasping the concept of reversing time because they're, they're literally doing the same scene backwards all over again. That kind of concept, you just kind of have to start wrapping your head around what would it be like inverted. Mm-hmm. And when he goes back out into the world and goes to that eight kilometer stretch of highway that they, they actually rented out for how many weeks? Uh, three weeks. Three, three weeks. weeks. In real life, they rented out a three, an eight-kilometer stretch of highway. I would hate Christopher Nolan if I had to use use that highway. For yeah, my the commute. commuters must. Have I would. I would literally. Pissed. I would. I would have boycotted this movie. Yeah, what like, a like everything shot on location. It's, it's remarkable, but the concept of that moment where you initially saw that car flip and mm-hmm. then it flips over again, and just the concept of trying to figure out where these characters are in time and understanding that they're running backwards is something that. The protagonist has to try and wrap his head around, and you do as well. And yeah. it's a tricky situation. And I'll be honest, I don't think I fully wrap my head around it even the second viewing. It's, it's so difficult hard sometimes. to Just... think that way. Because your brain isn't wired to think that way. Yeah. And again, there are multiple lines of dialogue where like, they even say, like, no, you're thinking the wrong way. Like, You can't think forwards. You have to exactly. think like, like backwards or in a circle or whatever they say. So yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a very difficult thing to do because yeah, our brains simply put are just not wired to think that way. And the idea that I don't know, like how long did it take Christopher Nolan to think of this? Like how did he think of this? Did he lock himself into a room and just do a bunch of just research? Just plan it all out. And you then mean to yeah, move backwards. Yeah, because he's obviously thinking forwards and backwards. At the oh, same he time. was for do sure. Do you think he's on a different plane of existence at this point in his life? Like, he's maybe gonna, he can invert himself. Yeah, he's yeah. for the rest of his life. He's always going to be thinking like non-linearly. Maybe, um, and it's gonna it's gonna put a damper on any relationship he ever has because he's just going to be, you know, perhaps. Like, yeah, like I already know maybe what's going to happen. Uh, maybe his marriage to Emma Thomas. Maybe maybe she's running backwards and forwards as well because she's the producer of this. So yeah. I feel like she's heavily invested. Yeah, man, it's um, As a note with this, that, that concept of Christopher Nolan and his dedication, that, that was one of the main takeaways I took away from that nine-minute behind-the-scenes clip as well, in that it seems just like he's extremely passionate about his, about his work. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just really appreciate, to be honest, in my life, anyone who's passionate about what they do, I think that that's 
I don't know. It's inspiring when that happens, and there's not a you don't always see that super often, and it, it's uh, I feel like it's contagious, and I feel like it was contagious on the set of this movie, and it's very interesting. They were talking about him just wanting to work in the rain and just keep going uh, like long days to just get it get it done, kind of thing. Not just to get it done, but because he really loved what he was doing. Yeah, and I don't know. That's just uh, that kind of idea is inspiring, and uh, that, that that I think it shows in his work extremely well oh definitely and especially here like with the plot hole do you think you know better than christopher nolan probably not because he no you don't dedicated you his life to this you're a dumb project. idiot you think there's a plot hole you're stupid you know nothing whoa well you know you know you don't you think you know more than mr chris nolan mr chris this mr. Mr. <laughs> mr chris mr chris mr chris <laughs> my boy chris nolan yeah you don't yeah it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a masterpiece. That's what I believe. I do believe I that. I agree a... with you. Uh, another aspect we didn't talk too much about uh, was we, we mentioned it in episode nine was Ludwig Göransson's score. Ludwig Göransson, of course, he scored also Black Panther and The Mandalorian with some awesome music for those as well. Mm-hmm. There's something about his music though. If you, it was actually released on Apple Music and Spotify and, and iTunes and, and things like that as well. So if you want to check it out, you can. Uh, me There's specifically? You in the audience. Oh, okay. Yeah, anyone. Anyone listening to this. Or you in front of me, if you want. Right Just now? Not, not immediately, because we're doing a podcast. Okay. But the, the cool thing about this was the reverse time-type music. If you listen to it back, there's moments in there that are... It almost does sound like he created part of a score that was meant to be reversed. And it's pretty amazing what he came up with. There are elements, and this is a strange thing in general, that... Nolan decided to not go with Hans Zimmer, which surprised me quite a bit because he's been using Hans Zimmer for his scores since The Dark Knight, pretty much. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that he. I'm not. I'm curious actually why that might be. Maybe it was a scheduling conflict. You think they got him to a fight? I hope not. I mean, Hans Zimmer's score for Dunkirk was also incredible. It was. I think, but there's Interstellar elements. Oh, amazing! Is maybe my favorite score. You just took you, you. You can't say that before I I say it because I was gonna say that. Now it looks like I'm copying you. Sorry. Well, we both can like the same thing. We can, but I can, I have to like it first because it was my it was my point. Well, I guess point. you just can't like it then. Yeah, I don't. I hate it I'm now. Sorry. It's my least, it's my least favorite score. I'm sorry, friend. <laughs> but yeah, though, like there's elements from this score that I feel feels like Gorenson might have been inspired, maybe just by Nolan's movie making style or Hans Zimmer himself. I wonder mm-hmm. if Hans Zimmer had anything to do with this project. Not to say that Gorenson's score is not unique and unique to him completely. It's it's amazing, but there is it does it runs on that epic tone of what Inception was, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, or Dunkirk. But the running time in reverse, there's a moment in part of the score in which there's literally, it sounds like somebody having a struggling to breathe yeah. in an oxygen mask. Do you, you recall this? or? Yeah, like it's part way through the movie. Like the, I mean, yeah. obviously it's... <laughs> it's in the movie. What a dumb thing It is in the say. movie itself. It is, yeah. I remember, I remember it taking place within this movie. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That we were talking about. But it sounds That he wrote the score for. Like, yeah. It sounds creepy. It's it's awesome. And it is. It is. It's it's fantastic. It's yeah. fantastical. Yeah. Yeah, man. Something special. For it sure. is something special. Another thing I want to bring up is how yeah. amazing the fight choreography is throughout the movie. Hundred percent. It's unbelievable and it's, how good it is. It's From, clear that he again, John David Washington, likely didn't want to again use a stunt double yeah. very often because it looks like it's just him. There's, it is him following him around. I think the only time it's not him is when he's literally fighting himself because he can't 
be two people at once. Oh, right, but it was perfect because he was wearing a mask. Exactly, it worked out perfectly. That was another thing that Peter mentioned, just to sidetrack, just briefly. He mentioned that that was also a plot hole because you thought you can't come in contact with yourself. But they explain that in the movie that yeah. you can come into contact with yourself if you're wearing these suits. Yeah. And I think I'm not sure again for sure, but I think these suits were inverted so that you can it's inverted in the other way. So you if you're wearing them, you're you're in the inverse. So if you touch it, it's you're from that place. I think that that's what they were kind of explaining. I think but they if you used, touch, skin to skin contact would mean yeah, violation that, that was the two people. Yeah, that was my understanding that it's skin to skin. Like I right, think like yeah, if yeah. you just wore a bodysuit, you're fine. Which I don't know. That, that that's how I understood it when they explained sure. it. But yeah, that like, fight choreography was unbelievable. It was. Like, it's crazy, like, how different the fight scenes are throughout the movie. Like, how the first fight scene in the movie, again, taking place in the kitchen. That was unbelievable. And how casual it is. So good. And, again, he's, like, John David Washington's the protagonist. Definition of cool in is, the is the definition of cool. He's so suave. He's just walking into this thing, knowing he's about to, like, get into a fight, gets punched in the back, and then just immediately beats the crap out of everyone and like it's just it's like timed perfectly he knows that he's gonna get punched he accepts the fact that he's gonna get punched in the beginning of it and then he he's he's waiting he's like i'm gonna take this one but after that i don't get hit again exactly he seems plate. yeah he, he seems like grater. he's so calculated yeah grabbing the cheese grater. he's just like looking like oh, all right what can i use here he's like oh there's a cheese grater i'm gonna punch this guy in the face with a cheese grater you know what I mean? And then he walks up and like, oh, this guy's coming at me. It's like, oh, there's a few plates right there and just like grabs the plates and knocks it. It's just, it's cool because he's just walking so slow and like all cool. And then just in a in a millisecond, he just attacks like a snake. You know what I mean? Just yeah, like, exactly. just so quick, so swift. All of his movements in those fight scenes, it's it's honestly, it's funny to say, like, that might be my favorite fight scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah, Because of how, how, it's just cool. Like, it's, it's just, like, I casual. Know, I know. Yeah. And it's so I mean, unexpected. That, I said this before, but, like, John David Washington for James Bond can't happen because he's not British. Again, um, I'm, I'm, I, I disagree with that because if, if we use that logic, he can't be him because he's black. That's it's not the same, the same logic at all. It is the same logic. It is not. It is exactly the same logic. It isn't nationality and race. I think it is. I think they're not hand in hand. They're not. Really. I don't know. Agree to disagree on that. One. Traditionally, there's always been. I want him to be. Traditionally, it's always been a white person. That's the exact same argument. Traditionally, I don't, I don't it's actually been. agree. I feel like those are different arguments. No, I don't. Because we so. got like a blonde James Bond. It's not. They're not always black hair anymore. So we can easily just change anything about them. Yeah, like their nationality. Blonde. Not nationality, though, because it's going to be something for the youth. That, that part of the tradition, there's nothing. I don't think that that, this is going to get into a, a conversation about what, what counts as discrimination. But that's, that's going to be pretty soft discrimination if you, you just can't choose somebody from a, from a different like, part of literal physical location in the world. Like, the, for instance, the president of the United States. You can't have a president of the United States that isn't from initially born in the U.S. Maybe, yeah. maybe, that's, maybe that's problematic. Is it? Is that discrimination? It is because it, uh, I guess the definition of the word discrimination, but ultimately that makes sense in some capacity. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. James so, Bond and the president. Just think about James Bond is like the president. Yeah, okay. That actually makes so much sense, and now I agree with you, even though I still disagree <laughs> with you. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to sidetrack. But no, I definitely I would, love, just, I would love him for that. Just I don't even care. Just make up make up a John Wick-like character. Yeah, that just, you can just make a franchise, like an action franchise that stars him. And I would be sure. happy. Like, For sure. Like, that's all I want now. Uh, oh, we, we didn't talk about the fact that Robert Pattinson and jo- uh, John David Washington, their relationship in this is movie. Is so great. It's like a body cop movie. They're yeah. just, they're, you can see the chemistry. It's just, ah, oh, man. Yeah. 
It's amazing. I love them together, and it, yeah, I love them on screen together, and just they there's a lot of moments of levity throughout this movie that are actually like quite funny. Um, oh, for sure. Like where like I, I literally laughed out loud at a few scenes, and a lot of it is usually them talking to each other. Oh, and I, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the moment where he's saying, uh, "Don't like the, the yeah. don't be don't, don't be so dramatic yeah, about just, well, crashing a plane." It's like while flying, like a building, and like no, don't be dramatic. And he's like, "Well, how big is the plane going to be?" Well, that's dramatic. <laughs> that part is dramatic. <laughs> yeah, just like little things like that, and yeah, you know, just how they're talking um, when they're in the in the room together, and it's like, oh, like, do I know too much? Like, you're gonna have to kill me now. And it's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it on my own time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, there's something about those scenes too, in which the way they're staged, and the mm-hmm. way that like he's he he's pouring a pouring tea as an example, or or coffee, or whatever he's pouring at the same time. It just feels like you're thrown into this world, like in such a immersive way that it's it's difficult to see this in some movies this just doesn't happen as often and the fact that you're trying to catch up it makes you feel even more immersed the mm-hmm. fact that these speakers are blaring Gorenson's score so loud the sound effects the sound mixing in reverse and forward it makes you feel like you're literally there and uh, I, I think it was Kenneth Branagh in that again that behind the scenes clip that said specifically you'll be at the edge of your seat yeah and yes I was at the edge of your seat you're just Kind of, even the second time, it's the same way. You're still feeling like you're kind of trying to catch up, but at the same time, you just feel like you're there. And there was that question about the dialogue. There is a benefit to not hearing everything perfectly, and that the only issue with that is if you have like poor hearing or something like that, I'm not sure it's very helpful for that person. Yeah. But the idea of trying to hear what's going on and just trying to capture what they're saying, because you can listen to it and hear it, it's just... It's difficult because you're also trying to think about two things at once as well, and it's difficult to hear with the score blaring at the same time. So it's like when you're uh, driving and you're looking for a parking spot, and somebody's so you, talking to you in the passenger so, seat. So you turn the music down. Oh, I see what you, you know mean. What I mean? Like, sure, sure. It's, it's like that's one a of those. Example. Yeah, like I feel yeah, like no. it's something like that. That's where, awesome. That's a great yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. It's like I need to see better, so you turn the music down. <laughs> yeah, as if that's relevant. <laughs> yeah. But you just really need to focus all of your energy on that one thing. Definitely. So, uh, again, what what is there to say bad about this? Um, other Anything? than that, it's, other than the dialogue that you had, to yeah. And other hearing. than that, it's slightly confusing the first time. But I don't again, know if that's I, a bad thing, though. I wonder it more and more if that's just something that is so it makes it even more unique, and that you can no, watch I de- this again. No, I agree. A movie that's worth watching a second time for other reasons than just you like it is kind of an interesting concept that doesn't happen very often. It's it, kind of an interesting idea. It's like a video game that you play twice. You're kind of discovering different things, different details you never discovered before. Yeah. In this, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and you're somehow discovering things. How much ama- amazing detail you've put in this movie is maybe what one director would have put half in their movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they would put half the detail, half the attention to, to, to the nitty-gritty details of what their plot was. Yeah. You got double kind of thing in a way it's it's amazing it is fantastic it's uh it's definitely my movie of the year which isn't saying all that much because there has have haven't been too many movies this year that's true but it, it definitely is my movie of the year without a doubt uh the invisible man is probably my close i, I don't know yeah it's a close second i would say i really love that movie that yeah, was my favorite movie prior to this movie that's did true. el camino come out this year or was that last that year? was last year yeah man i don't even know I don't even know timelines anymore. Uh, I guess just a quick shout out to Hoyt Van Hoytema uh, for two reasons. One, he's the got coolest the coolest name, name in showbiz. Jinx Young and relationship and two kids. And then uh, also because his since Interstellar, uh, since Nolan brought him on board for Interstellar, his cinematography is fantastic. 
it's really great. It's really, really great. To be able to do what he's doing also when it's all live and everything's happening, I just think about the fact that they live plane crashed that plane and how they would have had to get that right the first time because you're not crashing a jumbo jet twice. And the idea of that plane, again, collecting cars as it did on the way to the building. Yeah, and again, this was a this was a real like air airport. Yeah, those were re- real people's cars. No, they weren't. They had to buy. They had to pay these people yeah. off after. No, no, no. And there was real gold bars that were actually supposed to be shipped. They they just call, they actually commandeered the plane. Is that yeah. what you're claiming yeah. as well? No, but it's all true. Yeah, sure. But yeah, no, that's amazing. It that it's crazy too. Like who who would think to do that in general? Apparently, just, Christopher Nolan, man. I know. I hope that. I don't know. I hope that other filmmakers get inspired by this concept of the practical effect because I really do appreciate that. Me too. Me too. More so now than ever. Yeah, it makes a. I think it makes a significant difference, and it really helps with the realism in, of the movie, and it helps you stay immersed because nothing is less like immersion breaking when you see something off about CGI. Even um, like I know Black Panther is a fantastical movie and everything like that, but the the CGI with like the suits and everything, and then when there's the fight scene at the end of the movie, and it literally is just CGI. Like, oh yeah, going on, and that it really doesn't look perfect. It's no. just not possible to yeah. get it completely perfect. It's just. And not- I know this is like a totally different movie, but yeah, like I I remember that specifically being like, oh man, I don't I don't like this fight scene. Like that, that it kind of it it broke me out of the movie for for a brief period. Yeah, that's fair. Just as an example. And I don't know, I'm sure there are plenty of other movies. Uh, that was just the one that popped into my head because we just talked about. Yeah. Or like in Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Oh, man. Which I, I really absolutely like love. But yeah. The, casino. The, the, I don't mind the casino scene as a whole, but I hate the the weird horse-looking creatures. I think the CGI is just atrocious. It reminds me of the prequels. I again. And they're moving fast. It's, it's way worse. That's yeah. the other thing. That's the same thing with Black Panther, and that when they're moving very quickly... There's something about it that loses. It, it becomes the Spider-Man 1, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man crawling on the wall. Uh, the first crawling on the wall type sequence. I think it's actually, Whoa. it's at nighttime. Do you remember what I'm talking about? In, in like not the, the Sam Raimi one? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But not when he's jumping the buildings, but when he's crawling along the wall, when he's trying to escape or trying to chase after the, yeah. the murder of Ben. Yeah. Like it's like, oh man, it looks terrible. But that movie was made in 2001 or 2002, so that kind of kind of makes sense. But, yeah, no, I know what you mean. It just completely takes you out of it. You're like, whoa, that's jarring. Mm-hmm. So I, it definitely helps to have the practical effects if you can. I agree. Yeah. I think every movie should use practical effects for the rest of days. You want to film something in space? Go out to space. Do what Elon Musk is doing with Tom Cruise. Yeah, if you want to film Avatar, you got to find Pandora. Yeah, go there. Do it, James. Come on, James Cameron. Yeah. Mr. James? God, Avatar sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no comment, but I do like this movie that we're talking about. Yeah, me too. Man. I, I adore movie. this movie. What a movie. And uh, yeah, I think what that about... What a movie. Do you have more to say that we uh, I haven't pointed out? Um, no. haven't pointed out yet? I don't believe so. I think we hit everything uh, that I wanted to talk about. I'm sure we'll think about something else uh, as soon as we cut the... And we'll be like, rats! Cut the recording, but... Gosh darn it. Why didn't we say this? We'll exclaim. Why? I wish I thought of this at the time of recording. Exactly. Is what we're going to say. Not to each other, because we don't speak outside this podcast. But, you know. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's true. I thank you all for watching this specific episode. Watching. This closer look Listening. episode for Tenet. You always say watching. 
uh, you could be watching. You could be looking at the phone. I know I'm making an excuse, but thank you for listening to this particular. You're welcome. Episode, and uh, I we'll speak see for, you next time. I speak for all all the listeners. You're so welcome. Every listener I, I speak for right now. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. On Split Focus. Take care. A film and TV podcast. Meow. Goodbye. Help. Slime.
Ich <laughs> 
Love so much coffee to do earth and uh the here was the Yeah. No one circled them. Hey. 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 Hey.
Then, 
and about the other really rumor that's now we've been seeing of it. Oh, Hey, <laughs> 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 
He'll send out him to cut Cedar Ridge, you know, Lonnie Stad, Stad Lion Dealer, Rit and Sawyer, Snare, all kept so shivy, Zedu and Mirasnik, Evu and Mendes Holbrum, Hemswim, Rasnis, Killing of Stepion, him to cut Cedar Ridge, uh, nay, Snare, uh, yeah, walk, and our Spanish year, real and exorcism, or thing if Sizzish, Sizzish, no, you're Rus, Rus, Nist, or Henry Fiddly, Fweet, Fweet. Yet no, I'm working on it. This is a large museum. It's a very worse than this. Doing a large museum. It's just a bit of a zillioning out for us. It's a very far rearing AR. So she's not really recognized. This is a lot of film. Yep, this is a thing. She's not wearing a rock. She's going to die. We're 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 going to die. I love his mission as he be moss, a killing a friend, but when I'm a killer, I'm not sure if I'll pass to eat your ugly money. Sing a hero group who's killing a few men on the fat since in the lab, get out of the gear field dream. Hey, Sajina, here I exit. No, first, see if the no. Here is the Sanders son and Eater. Master, there's no one over here. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs>